You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. We are back on YouTube on our channel at Lions 24-7. Uh, unfortunately, did not have that for you on the post-game podcast coming out of Michigan. Hopefully you had a chance, if you dare, to listen after a defeat on Saturday night or into Sunday, our post-game conversation on that matchup and the loss against Michigan. A lot in there that we're not going to rehash this time around. We do have some, some leftovers from the matchup, but... Sean, looking out the window here, at least in my part of Happy Valley, there is snow falling. The conversation about the Big Ten title chase is heating up. The college football playoff conversation is finally really taking shape. And unfortunately, we're talking about a four-loss Penn State team that fell out of those conversations a while ago. And we're left with some familiar discussions here to open another game week. The final one at home here as Rutgers heads to town for a noon kickoff on Saturday. Yes, unfortunately, we are on the outside looking in on those discussions. Plenty of opinions for teams in those discussions, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter. Um, we're not here to talk about Penn State's chances anymore of even going to a New Year's Six Bowl or anything like that. Four losses in five weeks. Uh, that's what that's what will get you. Yeah, that'll, that'll take care of that. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit later about how this season plays out down the stretch here. Uh, some moving parts, some personnel conversations, some staff conversations, but Let's focus on the here and now opening up another game week. Again, Rutgers heading to town at 5-5 five and five for Saturday. Will be the final matchup on home turf for Penn State in 2021. Senior week is going to be a conversation that we have as this week goes forward. It is a, a very different senior day because there's a lot of, of questions, at least, about who wants to continue playing college football. Will they be able to continue playing college football at Penn State? Who's going to decide that's it for them and that's a wrap? Most notably, Sean Clifford at the forefront there. Um, but heading into this week, as you said, four out of five games now were losses, three of them against top 10 opponents. You can sugarcoat it as best you can, point out that 18-point margin over the course of these four games. You look at last year, they lost three games by more than 13 points in 2020. But their losses, and right now, Penn State – Needs to win its final two matchups, Sean, to avoid going sub-500 in the Big Ten back-to-back -back years. That has not happened for Penn State since 2003 and 2004. I'm thinking in the James Franklin era here, which is now in year eight, you had that four-year stretch, 16, 17, 18, 19, where it was their best four-year stretch. You look at the end results since the 1990s. And now you've also got this two-year run. They got Rutgers. They got Michigan State. We'll see where that – takes the narrative, but you're looking at a, a very separate stretch here that's going to be analyzed, scrutinized, and really start to be a different chapter in the James Franklin era at Penn State. Yeah, dress it up any way you want. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you got four losses on your resume. That's where you're at right now. And um, those things are close or those games were close for the most part, but it does not matter. I mean, we talked about this after the Illinois game. You can, you can do your win as a win podcast, but at the end of the day, you have that in the win column People forget about that a lot easier than losing a what seven eight I don't even remember an eight overtime nine game overtime. too or nine overtime God yeah. good God I've already started blocking 
portions of this season out of my mind. And I guess I started with that day, which is a good place to start with. <laughs> let's be honest. Um, but, uh, but, but here you are at six and four, you're, you're, you're going from the narrative of is James Franklin going to take a job at LSU or USC? And now is James Franklin cut out for this job? And that's, that's a really big leap. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny how things, how things fall into place in a month, but uh, here they are. Penn state has to turn it around against Rutgers. Rutgers, always plays Penn state tough. Let's be honest. There's a lot of chips and a lot of shoulders um, on that Rutgers sideline. And you, you think about in the past several years, even when Penn state has been rolling, they've struggled at times against Rutgers. You usually play them in November. Weather's usually not, or weather is usually a factor, but still um, you haven't rolled over them. Like a lot of teams in the big 10 have done. So uh, they're coming off of a, of a win over Indiana, who is just terrible right now just absolutely at the bottom of the conference right now um a little surprising for a tom allen coach team but at the same time Rutgers has a lot to play for they got to win one of their last two games now they play maryland to, to end the season they got to win one of their last two games and they're bowl eligible and you as a Rutgers grad i don't have to tell you what bowl eligibility means to, to that program yeah very clearly a step forward and we'll talk about what that might mean later in the week we'll, we'll have a Rutgers analyst on to talk about that and uh, there's a lot that they could gain recruiting, no doubt about it, um, but it, it's a tall task. You look at how Vegas views this game. Penn State remains a very heavy, heavy favorite. You hear the comments about this matchup early on from Greg Schiano coming out of the Indiana game. He says he wants Penn State to be viewed as a rival for Rutgers, but they had not earned that right. They've got a long way to go in that department. Clearly, Penn State not viewing Rutgers as a rival, but Rutgers has been longing to shake up this series. It felt like they had a good opportunity to do that last year when Penn State was really down um, in that moment. Rutgers did not show up very well for themselves on home turf. The win was a factor, and Will Levis essentially tucked it and ran it to the to the go to the end of that game, and they got home with a win as part of that streak. And now you're seeing once again a Penn State team that we don't really understand what their identity is. I'm not quite sure how they're going to attack Rutgers. I'm I'm not quite sure if they're going to sleepwalk through the first half, which on a senior day um, in a situation where you have your back against the wall and you're trying to avoid a fifth loss in six games, you'd think you'd have that inspiration. But I don't know if that's guaranteed right now because that was about as disheartening of a loss against Michigan as they've had a lead in the final four, four, uh, final four minutes of the fourth quarter. Defense certainly playing well from start to finish to put that one away. And at the end of it, a few minutes later, it's Asan Haskins bulldozing through your defenders, moving the chains, and then taking a knee in Beaver Stadium. And you're just scratching your head, and you see these guys saying, we were just part of the conversation, every conversation, Josh Pate's conversations, and now – People aren't even really interested what's happening in State College unless they want to kind of poke fun at our at our head coach. And you can just kind of see on their eyes there is a shocked look to it and big week to respond right now. And an opponent that I'm telling you right now is going to come fired up and ready to play against Penn State. And, and that's kind of an issue, too, because nobody's going to give you credit for beating Rutgers. I mean, this is what you're supposed to do as Penn State. This is what you've done your entire um, history in this in this rivalry. So there's not a there's not much to win. But there's a, lot, there's a heck of a lot that you could lose from this. Greg Schiano, a tremendous coach, always, you, you know, for the most part, has gotten the most out of his players um, in his college tenure. And really, it, this is kind of the the situation here. I think Penn State you know, is the better team, I mean, even, even with everything that Rutgers has going for it, Penn state's the better team. Penn state has more options to attack you. Uh, Rutgers doesn't get to the quarterback, especially well, which is probably a theme that we're going to hear throughout the week, especially after watching Michigan just trample Sean Clifford uh, over the weekend. Um, so Penn state has a lot going for it in the matchups. 
just got to show up, be ready to play and get going because this is uh, this is one that can get away. Unfortunately, you don't want to you don't want to have to think about that or think about that possibility. It's kind of like Maryland a couple of weeks ago, which that didn't finish until Jair Brown raced into the other end zone with a pick six. I mean, you can play a tough game against Rutgers, still get a win, um, you know, and you can still get a comfortable win, but it's not going to come easy. And if you're looking at the end of the season as some kind of stepping to stepping stones toward momentum, and it will be momentum, it'll either be really negative momentum going into the offseason, or maybe they can generate some late season positivity and get into a postseason matchup. But a lot to answer. There's a huge difference, though, Sean, in going uh, to Michigan State, a team that we're going to probably see, you know, still vying for Big Ten championship. Michigan State, uh, at, after a loss to Rutgers, in East Lansing versus maybe trying to get Dayton four on the road, finish with a two game win streak, look a lot more uh, impressive as a bowl candidate. There's just, I think this Rutgers game and how Penn state shows up will probably determine a lot about how they come out the other side into yet another marquee matchup. And if they fall at Michigan state, you go through the list of big time matchups that this team has faced in big time moments. This team has faced and, for a program and a squad that early on in 2021, we said they continued to answer the bell in key moments. You're going to review this schedule and, and look at where the losses turned up and realize that those were the defining matchups. And, and oh, by the way, that Illinois can under them. The, the, the funny thing is the defining matchups as we laid them out in the preseason was going to Wisconsin. They got a win hosting Auburn. You got a win. And then you get, you get on to the, the, the meat of your schedule where Ohio state and Michigan are always, are, are always, you know, high on the, the list of, of your top games every year. They're usually your whiteouts, but uh, yeah, it's just the, those little slip ups in the other spots. Uh, Iowa is not as good as the, they're, they're not as good as the team as they were when Penn state went out there. Of course, as we've discussed in the past, I don't think either team was as good as they were discussed going into that game but still and then the illinois game you you, you fall flat uh and there's no no excuse for that i mean let's be honest here there's no there's no talking around that one close game you could have scored an overtime two point what does not matter against yeah. a team like illinois you gotta kind of hope for one of those early 2000s uh back when i was a student type games i think 2003 they got indiana at home on senior day uh beat them 52 to 7 uh which i think was their only big 10 win that year they were three and nine that season then 2004 the uh i believe that was the tony johnson game where they just throttled michigan state 37 13 uh, a lot going on um for for those teams that that probably had some frustration to get out and you're kind of hoping as a Penn state fan, looking back to those games saying, maybe this is the one that, that you turned the corner, but been saying that for six weeks now, Sean, what is really the most troubling about this in this 20 and 21, you know, span of the, of the time here for James Franklin is the guys that are at the forefront of things from a personnel standpoint in a lot of ways represent two top 10 classes evaluated by 24 seven sports as top 10 overall talent halls in 2018 and 2019 you're starting to see members of that group show up on Sundays play big roles for NFL game in NFL games but you're not seeing at the back end that equate to the big win totals that Penn State was starting to pile up and the big pitch with those recruiting classes and the big you know conversation that we've had on the podcast since those guys arrived on campus was this was designed for that group and their progression and their development as James Franklin pieced together his staff as carrying out that next rung of the ladder and Penn State reaching it. And instead, we've, we've seen this stunning regression. Uh, no matter what the points totals, point totals are, the record is what it is. It's 10 and 9 uh, in the last two years. And, and as I referenced on the podcast last episode, it's 13 and 11 uh, when you go back to that trip to Minnesota when Penn State was ranked 
in the initial college football rankings for 2019. Um, so how do you stop that? How do you stop the streakiness? It's a conversation for the offseason, but it's got to start now against the Rutgers team because if you have losses to Illinois and Rutgers on your schedule, I don't care what your final record is. I don't care if you're playing in a bowl game and you can pick up a seventh win and finish over 500. This will be viewed in a lot of different lights as one of the most disappointing Penn State seasons I'd imagine in a very long time over a very long span. And guys like Mark Brennan and, and people like yourself would be more uh, equipped to have that conversation about where it would fall in that that kind of uh, in that kind of scope. But I'd imagine there's a strong case to be made, at, 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 especially when you when you pair that with the five and zero start. It's not like they came out the gates and stumbled their way around and never looked good. This team was rolling had us really talking about what December and January might look like here. Yeah, no matter where you stack it up against other times or other efforts of the past, it's it's a failure. I mean, that's what even with an 8 and 4 record, you know, that's that and this was a very tough schedule, um not, you know, it, it, there's a ton of hindsight in that statement, obviously, because you went out on the road, you won a game that people didn't think you were going to win against Wisconsin. They're white hot right now. Uh, Auburn got hot for a little bit. Bo Nix is going to miss the rest of the season. They're going to squander off into uh, uh, just a, into nothingness. And and now you kind of sit there six and four. Illinois staring you right in the face. Iowa staring you right in the face. And and that would have been a good win, but it would have been one of those wins when they go back at the end of the season. The committee would probably go back at the end of the season and say, well, Iowa wasn't that great. Um, but you do that all over college football with with every team. So I get it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's just it, it, it's a failure um, to to be in that situation where you had everything in front of you and then let a couple of uh, of injuries which obviously are, are huge in this in this how the season played out let a couple of injuries play out not being able to get your offense on track to to get where you needed to be under a new offensive coordinator who has had success at, at his previous stops i mean there's just not a lot of uh, of answers for this one and really there's, there's there's a lot of very good questions out there about james franklin about his offensive staff in particular i think as we said the defense not bulletproof but Definitely good enough, probably a good enough group to challenge for a Big Ten title, let alone make it to the championship game or whatever. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of questions out there. And regardless of beating Rutgers, maybe you, you play another nice game against Michigan State, keep it close as you have these other, uh, these other programs. But there's not a lot to look forward to at this end of the season for Penn State fans. And I think you saw that uh, saw a little bit of that bleeding through on Saturday. And the latest college football bowl projections from 24-7 Sports, which came out on Sunday, uh, send Penn State to the Bronx for a matchup against Virginia, who uh, was beat up by Notre Dame this past Saturday. That's in the Pinstripe Bowl. Penn State, uh, I think, was that 2015, Sean, they, they landed in the Pinstripe Bowl? Uh, maybe 14. Yeah, yeah that was um, at the end of James Franklin's been there. season. Yeah, yeah, they've been there. So they've been there. Christmas they go back, time in the city. <laughs> Christmas time in the city is a great thing. It doesn't really uh, scream college football bowl destination, but these are the kind of destinations, these are the kind of games that – uh, we're not talking about no slight to the people who put the effort in to put these games on, but this is not the conversation and these are not the matchups that James Franklin wants to be a part of um, before Thanksgiving of the season. And this will mark the third time in four years where Penn State falls short of a New Year's Six Bowl. Obviously, the last couple of years falling very short of a New Year's Six Bowl and last year opting out of the postseason uh, in general following that nine game season when they did have an opportunity to find a bowl game at four and five. Sean, just a few leftovers from the Michigan game. Um, Sean Clifford did his thing early as a runner. He had three rushes that went for 10 or more yards. 
The rest of the team combined had three as well, matching him. Um, again, a, a lot of leaning on Sean Clifford. They were playing their best football when he was able to get mobile. You start to pile on the, the hits, as we discussed on Saturday. He can't be mobile like that. And I think really moving forward, that's where a, a big kind of question for me is going into the Rutgers game. Where is Sean Clifford from a health standpoint? Because he was taking a long time to get off the field in the fourth quarter after some of those shots. And, and they beat him up. And I don't know how much that may have exacerbated whatever he was dealing with in October. I know it certainly couldn't have helped. And I don't know if that means he's restricted again in, in terms of what he can do outside the pocket or as a runner against Rutgers, but we've seen what that means for this offense. And then that leads me to say, is Christian Veyu the number two? Because it looked that way in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. The number two, yes. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's really, sorry, I, I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> but will you take what Clifford, I mean, he took a pounding on Saturday, no doubt about it. And that's pass rush, that's running the ball, doing whatever he could. Um, you know, you, you, you got to give him some grit points, but at the end of the day, you know, you still got the loss, didn't didn't get it done. And they they went out, I think that's the the part that's hard to swallow, kind of went out with a whimper there, just, you know, dropping back and floating some downfield, Cam Sullivan Brown. And um, and then on top of that, Jahan Dotson left the game, could not come back in the game, as we discussed, even if Penn yep. State took a timeout for that fourth down. Um, but you, you didn't get an offensive snap after that. So you don't know if he could have come back or what his situation is. If they don't have Jahan Dotson, then man, that's uh, that's a really tough one to to walk because even Franklin said after the game, they don't have any explosion, any, any you know, I don't want to say any playmakers, but they don't have anybody that can do what Jahan Dotson does or or get close to what Jahan Dotson does. So um, you you beat up Clifford, you beat up Dotson, and and then all of a sudden a big chunk of your offense goes out. It's kind of like with, with KJ Handler a couple of years ago when he was hurt, your offense certainly struggled very mightily, and and that's something you cannot afford um, to 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 really think about is is the health of Jahan Dotson and, and Sean Clifford and what the other options are. I, I I don't I say you can't afford to think about it. You don't want to think about it because no. those guys are so vital to to what Penn State has been able to do on offense this year. But you can't afford not to strategize from uh, you know from understanding that you may not have you know a full throttle Clifford. I'd imagine, I just don't know where he could possibly be right now from a physical standpoint. On a Monday, of course, he has a full week of practice to get through, and that's a good. You raise a good point. Where is Jahan Dotson? We we don't exactly know what happened there at the end of the game. Um, we're, he got that's smushed. That carries that's into happened. another game week. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, does that something though that we know how collisions are handled by college football staffs and by medical staffs? Is that something that carries over into another game week? And with Jahan Dotson and his medical situation, let's face it, uh, a pinstripe bowl might be a motivation for a lot of people. And I know Jahan Dotson is motivated to finish thing, this thing out. He's got a lot to look forward to. So I, I, I don't know what happens right now, Sean, with Jahan um, from, from, a, from a health standpoint. That'll be asked about on Tuesday in the press conference, as will a few other things. I think Veyu should be asked about as well, considering how he was used pregame and, and, and what that might mean for his availability as the number two option against Rutgers. But getting back to, to the Michigan matchup just quickly here, NFL scouts and get ready for the NFL draft highlights next April. Going to get a long look at what happened between Penn State's offensive tackles Michigan's defensive ends and and what was viewed as a matchup between you know two Big Ten programs that have recruited about as well as anybody not named Ohio State in this conference and there's a lot of talent on the field so you're looking at these individual matchups and boy did it go one way in a large way on Saturday. Yeah, those Michigan defensive ends were great. Penn State made them look even better. I mean, they they are tremendous. I mean, these are first round prospects um, there for Michigan, but Penn State 
definitely help them on their way. Uh, and, and eventually on their way, they found Sean Clifford. By the way, before we move on, I, I know somebody or people will be listening to this saying Jahan Dawson got up after that play and went to dro- go back in the huddle. There was a quick whistle that sent him off the field. I, I hope that's the case. I hope he was good enough to go back in. I'm glad we found clarity on the rule that said he couldn't have gone back in regardless um, because you know that gives you a, a sort of window of hope that he, he'll be okay. Tough, tough kid. He's done some great things at Penn State, so uh, you you don't want to see him go out in the last couple of games of his career uh, hobbled or anything like that. But back to the uh, offensive tackle battles, um, Penn State limited athletically on that uh, on that offensive line in terms of what they um, have been. And uh, Rashid Walker, who we've talked about as potential pro and a potential draft pick next year, looks like he's ready to go to the NFL in the sense that he looks like he's checked out and and gone. And that's really unfortunate to to say. Um, considering I think he's a tremendously talented guy, but yeah, he just hasn't had that growth this year. And I think a lot of that, um, you know, you, we, we've seen guys that have been like that before and have gone on to be successful um, at the next level. So I think uh, some of that has to do with the guys beside him that just, I mean, Eric Wilson has struggled. Mike Miranda has struggled. Now he's hurt. Um, you know, you, you bring in Bryce Effner, who is probably not uh, the guy that you want holding up the, you know, the the big defensive tackles in this league. So, I mean, you've got so many questions and then you move to right tackle. You got a guard playing tackle and it looks like there's a guard playing tackle in Caden Wallace. So tough to uh, to say. I mean, that offensive line is, has been pretty brutal to watch this year um, and really no sign of that uh, that getting much better. A little bit more push, a little bit more, um, you know, uh, physicality in the run game. But still, when your quarterback's taking all those hits, I mean, and you're a passing team, th- those are going to come and those are going to come often. And that's uh, that's going to have a ripple effect on the rest of your offense. And it's been it's been tough to watch. I'm not going to like speculate on on what Rasheed Walker is talking to guys about uh, in the meeting on the practice field on the sideline, how he's carrying himself among his teammates. You mentioned checked out. Some people have mentioned that on the message board. The body language, I think you, you can read into that over the course of a game. You said you've seen this before with guys, maybe on the verge, maybe looking toward the NFL. Have you seen it with a player elected as a Penn State team captain? I, I don't know. I don't I don't pay as closely attention to the uh, well, I the think that we, if that is the case, that is the more alarming thing to me than the fact that he's well, a third it, year player. That would it's be frust- the fact that it's he frustration was frustration. It's it's frustration boiling over. I mean, it's a, whether you're a captain or you're not a captain, if you're on that offensive line, you're you're pretty disappointed with how things have gone. And and as a reflection, I mean, you, you know, as an offensive lineman, as it, you're a reflection of your entire line. And that's really what it comes down to. And it's just not great from from left to right this year. And uh, the most talented guy is on the left. But at the same time, when when everybody when everything doesn't work, it's going to come back on you as the most talented guy. So I think that's the frustration here is, is, you know, he's had some really nice blocks this year. He's been in in really good position at times. He's played actually played pretty well over the first half of the season. But that stuff wears on you, and if you can't get anything going as an offensive line, and he's answered those questions before, I don't think it matters if he's a captain. I don't think it matters if he's a upperclassman or a redshirt freshman. That stuff is going to boil over, and you're just going to see that, uh, you know, show up on the field week after week. Maybe a moment here uh, for him and a lot of guys on this team. You know, maybe they realize this is the end for their Penn State career, and you're very curious to see how they respond to these last two matchups and then whatever lies beyond uh, here in November. Uh, Sean, it was really all AK or nothing in the pass rush. Uh, he has been the man uh, for this pro- for this Penn State team in terms of getting after the quarterback. Eight and a half sacks now. Uh, he has a good chance to get to 10. Uh, it's been a, it's, I think it's been seven years since anyone got the 10 sacks for this defense. So it's a pretty significant accomplishment. But you look around and you think, 
this guy's playing in the NFL next year. I know he's got eligibility, but look what he did in, in his one year here at Penn State. He's got himself in a great position to go pro. This defensive end room, and no disrespect to anyone else out there, is taking on expanded reps or, or Jesse Lucchetti is out there battling through some things, playing a couple of spots. You wonder, man, you got a Temple transfer doing a lot for you right now, and it's a damn good thing. And you think if he's out of the equation, and he will be in 2022, you either need a major, major recovery from Adiza Isaac, tremendous growth from other guys, or you got to go right back to that transfer portal and find another Arnold Evicate. I mean, I think you're going to go back to that. Portal and a combination of all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's a combination yeah. <laughs> of all of them because you bring Adisa Isaac back in the mix. You bring Tarburton back. You try and talk Jesse Lucchetta into coming back. I don't know if that's going to work or not, but um, you've got uh, you've got something to work with there. Maybe maybe Davon Townley takes a step, Zariah Fisher and Smith-Bilbert. So I, I don't think it's a hit the panic button, but you've got an opportunity to to replace him with a comparable prospect. Uh, you're you're in a, you're a spot right now where he came out of essentially nowhere. I mean, Temple, obviously a, a very good program in its own right, has developed NFL players for a long time. Um, but it, you, you, you show a kid from uh, Florida or something like that, that he was able to jump in and become not, even, not only um, an impact player, but you're po possibly your top player in that front seven. Um, I mean, that's a great sell right there. And, and Adisa coming back is, is awesome. On top of that, he's not technically a returning starter. So you show them the depth chart. You say, this guy, this spot's open. And then all of a sudden, you add a grad transfer in there, a grad transfer that might be on the level of Ebicade, might not be. I mean, it's a really impressive level to be on. Um, yeah. But you, you you all of a sudden are feeling a little bit better about where you stand uh, with defensive end in terms of, uh, of a fuller rotation. Yeah, I think John Scott has handled that job quite well here in year number two and what he's done dealing with some injuries and the development of guys who've come into the program. Uh, overall, good work. And 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 still, you look at the Michigan-Penn State matchup, as I said, it was it was all AK getting after the quarterback, making McNamara feel uncomfortable. Overall, only four tackles for loss against a running back that, granted, falls forward probably better than anybody in the country right now or just about as well as anybody in the country in Hassan Haskins. But 12 tackles for loss on the other side. You've got two linebackers here, Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smith. They combined for 25 tackles, half of a tackle for loss between the two of them, though. A lot of those plays were chasing downfield. We talked about some uh, a particularly big miss for Brandon Smith on a third and 13 that got Michigan rolling toward the end of the first half and just saw a lot of trailing tackles for this linebacker group, uh, although the production was there. Yeah, I I, I... – don't know. I mean, you look at what Penn State did on Saturday. I don't think pressure was an issue. I don't think, you know, Haskins ran for what, four yards of carry, five yards of carry, something like that. So you'll take take that considering the the circumstances. I don't think that was those were the differences in the game. Maybe you get to McNamara a little bit on those some of those crossing routes, which they just wanted to to drag them and shallow cross them to death. And that's really what they were eventually able to do uh, with the touchdowns all. So maybe you get a little bit more pressure there, but I, 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 I struggle to see that as the reason that Penn state, you know, fell behind and, and eventually lost the game. So um, I, I think we're looking for things here that, that maybe aren't um, the, the, the big, uh, the big issue. Um, I don't know what the big issue is. You know, it's kind of, we, we've talked about this offense ad nauseum well, Sean, we real quick it's been tricky because we, we like we don't go too far down talking about the defense because you go through the scores and they have done enough to win right, essentially every right. game and then yeah. it's also like well we also need to yeah the defense has it's been like perfect, we need to but it, equal the there's so much yeah, stuff <laughs> we need to pick, i feel like we need to nitpick one side yes. to get the problems and then the offensive side the the, the problems are just 
that obvious that we spent we are a lot talking, of time on it. We're talking a lot less about defensive issues. If the offense it's like, can defense. elevate itself a little bit here over the course of the last six weeks, it's going to make some of these defensive things that pop up, including a cornerback colliding with his teammate cornerback. Maybe that's a bad play, and it's a play that makes this one more interesting. But if your offense can produce more than 17 points on six trips into Michigan territory, it's just a bad play. We're it's not, not a yeah. game-ending play. And I mean, it, it's like – James Franklin was asked about balance last week. And, and the, the, you, you don't want to be 50-50 with the run in the pass. It's not necessarily that. I mean, he, he, you want to be balanced. If you have most success with uh, with your pass, You want to, that's that's where you want to lean on. With this podcast, we have so much <laughs> to lean on nitpicking the offense. We have to find right. things on the defense. We have so much criticizing the offense. Low-hanging fruit to find with the, the offense. offense. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah. kind of like – with Tariq Castro Fields um, over much of the season has been the whipping boy in that secondary. That secondary has been phenomenal and he gets a slip here and a slip there. And he always obviously looks like the, the weak link. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're doing with this right now is we're, mm-hmm. we're just getting deeper and deeper into that defense. And it's, and I don't mean to come down on your, your talking points here or anything like that, but Penn state should have, you know, they, they, they've done in every game so far, they've done what they needed to do on defense to win the football game and yeah. just has not come through. And uh, unfortunately, the the criticism is is we, we like to be well-rounded on this podcast, I guess. Um, so that's kind of where it's hanging. And that's uh, that's unfortunate for those defenders. And I'm sure they feel kind of the same way. I mean, you've got these losses. The, these These are team losses. These are not the offense is, or excuse me, the offense is not six and four and the defense is eight and two. That's not how that works. Um, so these are team losses and it, and it's frustrating to, to sit back and, and, and play the what if game, but that's kind of where we're at at this point in the season. Fine. I get it. You glad we had that. I'm glad, I'm glad we had that breakthrough. <laughs> you want to talk about the Penn state run game again. I get it, Sean. We'll stop talking talk about, about the defense that and fake field goals. Yeah. Let's go. The, the, well, I'm, I'm actually serious. Or is it time to take a longer look at, at Kevon Lee? I mean, that was the question that was brought up to us in the mailbag last week. He got 20 touches. He got 88 yards. He looked plodding at times. He uh, looked a little bit indecisive. I shouldn't say a little bit. At moments, he looked very indecisive. But it's still getting space, and he's still getting to the second level in a way that running backs have not done for this team. The yards per carry doesn't blow you away. Uh, but everybody else, as we've said, it is a very low bar right now, and John Lovett, for whatever reason, has looked really out of sync in this offense as a pass target of late. I just don't know how much you continue to lean on him. Uh, he's down to his last couple of collegiate matchups, unfortunately, uh, as a Baylor transfer here. But I, I don't know how healthy Noah Kane is. Wasn't used as a ball carrier last week. He was available, it looked like. like Devin Ford was barely in on offense. Do you think this is uh, you know, kind of time to give Kevon Lee some consecutive possessions? Because that's one thing that stood out to me during our post-game discussion with Kevon. He didn't say it outright, but you could feel he's itching for a chance to kind of gain some momentum over the course of a matchup. This was the closest we saw it against Michigan, but in a matchup where you need to survive at all costs against Rutgers, you cannot afford to lose this game. Can you possibly go into another matchup and say, we're going to spread it among a few running backs and do the same thing we've been doing. And maybe week 11 is where it all comes together. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you almost have to, and we've had that, that talk for a couple of weeks now about separating yourselves from the other backs. Well, those other backs are separating themselves by going that's down it. and Kevon Lee is, you know, steady. I mean, he's not, uh, not the guy that's going to bust off those big runs or anything like that, but he's been steady enough. And and just even looking back at the the Michigan tape, I mean, he probably wasn't as good as we made him out to be in the post game, but he 
was able to produce. He was able 4.4 yards of carry or whatever. So, and that's where the bar is right now. And unfortunately that's, that is, um, uh, a, a mighty low bar to, to be over. So hopefully they can do that. Um, you know, you're, you're better up front than, than Rutgers on both sides of the ball. At least that's how the matchups are, are, are laid out in front of you. I don't know that we can say Penn state's offensive line has been better up front than, than anybody that, especially in the last six weeks. Um, but you should have a chance to, to get going. So yes, I, I do think it is time to take a longer look at him. You, you, you would hope Noah Kane is starting to get back to where he needed to be. Obviously there's some sort of injury there because he did not play until what was it? Until Lee went out, uh, in the third, halfway quarter. through the fourth quarter, wasn't it? Fourth for quarter. The, for was the, it? Okay. Yeah. So there's got to be some sort of injury um, at play out there. Um, yeah. because, it was the play they know, found Tyler Warren, uh, I think, was, was when yeah. he was involved, the touchdown throw to Warren. Actually, I think uh, that, that's when Ford came in. Um, Ford for, came for in. The, the goal play line. before it may have been Kane. Yeah, it was Kane and Ford at the goal line in the fourth quarter. Guys, we hadn't seen a running back all game. And Tyler Warren t- catches the t- oh, great, t- great touchdown, catch, yes. but yeah, um, yeah that's, that's kind of, you know, play this one for us back in uh, August and see if we recognize what, <laughs> what the hell we're talking about here. Um, Cause that's, uh, oh that's, that's, that's how it works sometimes. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You'd like to see a situation where Penn state can put up some points this week, get some younger guys involved. I know Malik mega is a guy that's, come up in the last couple of weeks done some really nice things as a fourth receiver maybe see what he can do as a third receiver you mm-hmm. know may work him in there a little bit more um keandre lambert smith had no catches this week uh, maybe he get a bounce back week from him um so those offensive skill positions we think there's some guys that can step up there nobody's going to be Jahan dotson obviously um but you you think that maybe you get a chance to work against a team like Rutgers and and, and see what you've got with some of those younger players because they're going to be called upon um, in in priority situations next year. And it's tricky because normally we'd be saying, can you work in younger players against Rutgers because we're assuming Penn State's going to be up by 28 in the third third quarter or something like that. Right now, I, I feel like it's more of a conversation, can you work in younger players because the personnel plan that you've gone with hasn't worked too well. There are certain areas of this team right now where you just feel like, are you maximizing it? Are you giving a, a, enough of a, uh, are you taking a longer, or is it worth taking a longer look at a different option? Particularly a younger option is going to be part of your long-term plans. And it will be really at this point of the season beneficial to you right now and advantageous for next year to have them involved, getting reps, uh, getting accrued to what the college game is like here in the last couple of Big Ten matchups. You've got a lot of eligibility preserved right now in terms of games played for your true freshman. And I'm not saying time to empty the true freshman into this game, but looking away from the skill possessions, I'm curious about if Landon Tengwall fits into the plans. We've heard for a couple weeks now, whenever the offensive linemen are brought up, Olu Fashanu and then Landon Tengwall, uh, you know, are, are mentioned by James Franklin as guys he feels like have shown that they can be ready to, to get out there or they're close to being ready to get out there. We didn't see Olu Fashanu in uniform on Saturday, so we'll have to keep an eye on there. He's been worked as a second team tackle. We've also seen Landon Tengwall working as a tackle. This is a guy to me here who hasn't played yet. You can play him in every game the rest of the way if you tried. Him and then maybe at wide receiver, too, where you've got a Harrison Wallace, you've got a Liam Clifford. There's some other wide receivers that have been around here for a while that are stuck. They're getting reps, and I understand why. Do you start to peel back the curtain, maybe take some chances as a staff to see who see what guys can do on Saturdays? And, of course, the drawback of that is right now, you're if you're in a tight game against Rutgers, can you afford to do that? And can you afford to make a game plan like that when a loss here is going to just reflect so poorly on your staff? So it's not an easy decision, but I also feel like you're shortchanging 
your, I guess, program development, if you get through this game and you still didn't get much on some of these first, second year players who are taking up a ton of your roster, by the way, right now, and in 2022 are going to be a massive part of your roster with a ton of eligibility. And at this point, you have so many unknowns there. It's a little scary. And and you're number one. You got to put yourself in position to get those guys in the game yeah. by scoring points. Penn State hasn't been able to do that this year. So maybe some early points get feels you makes you feel a little bit better about the situation. You mentioned Landon Tangwall, and and that's an interesting one to me because you know the four game uh, the four game blueprint would say play against Villanova, maybe against Ball State, come back against the Rutgers at the end of the year, maybe play in the bowl game or something like that, and that gets you to four. Um, he didn't play against those those out of conference teams, and that was that's a really interesting decision, especially when you have Franklin talking about him and Fashanu as as guys that could potentially be in that situation where they can make that work. And that's, uh, that's an interesting one. And I'm glad you mentioned Harrison Wallace, um, because that's a really interesting one to me. He's got two games left. He's not going to burn a red shirt, but he's got two games left. Maybe this is the week when you can work him in and see what you've got there. Yeah, the, uh, the two guys that have burned that red shirt, we mentioned this last week, defensive backs, Kalen King and Jalen Reed. Kobe King has been at that four-game threshold for a while. I, I don't think we'd see him again this year. You'd think he's going to red shirt. And then Jamari Button's the only guy with three. Everybody else who came in as a freshman and with this class, and it wasn't a huge class, but you've got at least two games to work with. For many of them, you've got the full three, including a bowl matchup. So we'll see how Penn State handles that situation. And, and just in general, whether it's Landon Tengwell or not, what does the offensive line look like on Saturday? We'll get our first glimpse at the group on Wednesday. Going to be curious to see where Mike Miranda is. Obviously, he left the matchup after the second possession for Penn State last week. That meant you Scruggs slid over to center, and then Bryce Effner came in at right guard. Eric Wilson remained at left guard. And as we said, the two tackles struggled in, in Caden Wallace and, and Rasheed Walker against those fantastic defensive ends. This is not Michigan's defensive front. But I think we can say, aside from Indiana, there has not been a Big Ten matchup where Penn State has as notably or or where you can say they certainly controlled the trenches on the offensive line. They've played, what, seven Big Ten games? So that is a big discrepancy. And, and whether it's Rutgers or not, I have a lot of questions about the offensive line. And this week it starts with who's out there. And, and that's Phil Troutwine. Got to be feeling it right now, uh, externally, internally, and in that room the pressure to try to put something together here with a couple games left to do it. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a quick fix or anything like that. I know you guys have asked about Vashanu and, and, and Tangwa. I'd like to see Vashanu get a shot, but he's dealing with something right now. He was not a practice on Wednesday, was not dressed on, on Saturday. So unfortunately we might not, but might not get, get a chance to see him. So I don't think there's any quick fix. And as for those that have watched Penn state throughout this 2021 season, that's not, uh, that's not the answer you want to hear. A couple of positives here uh, regarding awards. Jahan Dotson named the Bolitnikoff Award semifinalist. Um, Bobby Ingram out of Penn State was the initial winner of that award. There has not been a Penn State winner since Jahan Dotson in that conversation. Jordan Stout now a three-time Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week um, following his efforts uh, against Michigan. Very, very active day for him. Uh, three field goals. Another fantastic day as a punter, but obviously one field goal that goes awry and then the other field goal uh, fake, which goes to him and falls short. So a mixed bag. And this is the second time he's had a mixed day that ends up in, in conference honors for him. Um, again, three times for the conference. Sean, I, I think you've got a kid coming home from school, so we're going to skip we, we, the mailbag. We can do the mailbag. We can do the mailbag. Oh, okay. I, I think right. we can do I figured that. the dog would let us know when it was time. The dog to, will to let us up. know, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, then let's jump into the mailbag because it is attached to Mr. Stout. And, and the question goes like this. 
since Jordan Stout can come back next season, what does that mean for Penn State's two other scholarship kickers? Could he really handle all three roles again in 2022? Reminder, Jordan Stout normally would be a senior. He's not because of the eligibility pause by the NCAA last year. Something we'll talk about later in the week. Senior week is weird because these guys aren't really seniors in the eyes of the NCAA with Jaquan Brisker and Tariq Castro-Fields as the exceptions. Yeah. Um, my first answer to that, I don't expect Jordan Stout back. I mean, you, you look at yeah. the season that he's had as a punter. You look at, uh, you know, I mean, he's riding high as a punter. Any anywhere short of the kid from San Diego state, who's probably going to win the Ray guy award. Cause he kicked the hell out of the ball. It's funny to watch. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see stout in a situation, you know, he can, he can make a roster next year, which is something you don't say very often about punters, or at least get into that, that grinder where he can find himself in the right spot or, you know, just kind of work its way into a camp two camp, whatever it has. But looking at what they have next year, Jake Pinnegar is essentially, you know, not essentially, but Jake Pinnegar is taking a red shirt year. Um, he comes back, then you've got an opportunity to get him in there. Um, you know, try and finish what he started. Um, Stout took all three and, and ran with him. Then you got Sanders to Hayek. Um, he, he's got a tremendous leg. They like what they've seen from him. So, you know, if, if Pinnegar's back, you've got a competition there. And then you look at what they're bringing in at punter and Alex Paqueta. Um, he's probably going to play right away, kind of similar to, to what Blake Gilligan did a couple of years ago. So I don't foresee a scenario where Jordan Stout comes back next year. Uh, competition with, uh, with Sid Haydack and Pinnegar at kicker and then Paqueta handling the punting duties. I certainly don't see three scholarship place kickers, and I know you can't really call Stout a scholarship place kicker because he came in as a punter or he came in as a, a, a specialist, and he's all over the place in the field. And, and he's, he's going to go to fill though. So he's not a running back. <laughs> and by the way, his, his his whether it's a draft stock or, or a free agent stock, if he can be he can be an emergency place kicker for somebody in the NFL. That's that's something that a lot of punters can't be. So uh, I expect him to be on. I think I think you're on on the money there. And and I don't know if we'll ever see anyone handle all three roles again. This was a very unique situation, and he's a Ray guy semifinalist himself. And, and kudos to him. Um, interesting question, and, and there's a lot to look at about who's staying, who's going, and what it means for the roster. It's something we'll do leading up to the Rutgers matchup. We'll talk about these Scarlet Knights later in the week. For now, we're going to step away on behalf of Sean Fitz and our producer, Lance Glenn. Thank you, as always, for following us and listening to us and watching us on YouTube. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.